This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com. In today's dynamic retail landscape, tracking openings and closings before they take place has never been more important. Having this intelligence is an undeniable competitive advantage. RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com, also known as ROCK, tracks future openings and future closings. Comprehensive, accurate, and reliable, the ROCK is your crystal ball and the key to making well-informed decisions with confidence in today's evolving retail climate. Welcome to Retail Retold. Today we have Andrew Callahan from Venture Retail Partners out of Boston. Andrew's been in the commercial real estate business for the last 16 years and started his own company with his partner six years ago. And we did a deal with Andrew in Hamden, Connecticut recently, although the deal took a long time. Uh, and But we're excited that the tenant opened. And I've known Andrew for probably the entire 16 years, so I'm excited to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. So, Andrew, why don't, why don't you tell a little bit about who you are, what you guys do, and what you're up to and all that good stuff? Sure. Thanks. Uh, so, my name is Andrew Callian. I'm co-owner with Trevor McNiven of a boutique brokerage shop based in downtown Boston called Venture Retail Partners. We focus, uh, much like DLC, uh, in predominantly retail real estate. Um, most of our business is tenant representation. So we represent um, Starbucks, Chipotle, Floor and Decor, Planet Fitness, CVS, um, to name a few. Uh, we also work with landlords, both regional, national, and local, um, on the other side of the transaction, uh, working to fill vacant space. So uh, like Chris said, I've been at this for the last 16 years, and our shop uh, is about six years old. Um, that's a quick, quick summary of who we are. And what percentage is for you guys is tenant rep versus landlord? I'd say 70%. Tenant rep. Tenant rep. Yeah. All right. And so you've been at this 16 years. Uh, obviously we're in unique times. You were in the great recession and now we're where we are today. What are you seeing in the market today? You, you represent tenants for a variety of different uses, pretty large geography in New England. Yep. What, are you, what, what are you seeing today? What's going on in the market? We, um, so we work New England and we do some work in upstate New York. So we're licensed in six states and transacting in all of them pretty regularly. Um, we do a fair amount of work in downtown Boston too with some local uh, restaurant groups and consulting, stuff like that as well. Um, so, you know, there's definitely been you know, an obvious slowdown across the board. Um, downtown Boston, because of just lack of workers right now, um, is very slow. Uh, we have some landlord projects in and around the financial district in Back Bay. And without that employee base being here, um, most retailers, uh, banks, restaurants, what have you, are really hesitant to pull the trigger on anything right now. Um, 
estimates that I'm getting from some big office landlords is that it is, you know, five, 6% of the employees are actually using the offices regularly right now uh, with a lot of big companies targeting, you know, early 2021 to start getting their staff back in. So it's, it's pretty quiet downtown Boston. What about in the areas where in downtown Boston, where people live? Yeah. So you have, um, you know, you look at the, the neighborhoods, um, Back Bay, South Boston, East Boston, um, you know, it's better than the financial district, but overall the amount of tenants we're seeing active in the market has shrunk quite a bit. Um, a lot of local or regional tenants, or maybe it's someone that owns two restaurants and is going to open a third. All of that has kind of gone on the back burner as far as we can tell. Um, the only growth in action we're seeing, or a lot of it is from, from national credit groups, whether it's bank trying to finish deals, um, the Starbucks, the Chipotle's of the world, um, you know, bigger restaurant groups with a hundred units that have the cash flow in the wherewithal to look down the line a couple of years to get, you know, their pipeline full. One of the things we are seeing being a landlord in multiple markets is we're actually seeing this, what I would call pickup in activity in the suburbs. And we're still yeah. seeing some challenge in the, you know, in the CBD in the main metro cities. Are you seeing better activity in suburban America, suburban New England? We are. Um you know, a lot of our tenants are all still pretty active. We've been working on deals with our, you know, our major clients uh, really throughout the whole pandemic since March. Um, but the burbs where, you know, a couple of our tenants are drive-through tenants like Starbucks and Chipotle, um, where their sales are, have done well throughout this whole thing. But yeah, we are definitely seeing a bit of an uptick in, in the burbs, especially closer to Boston where, um, you have kind of an affluent population base when you push out to, you know, some of those, you know, more, more tier Excerpts. three outer markets, it seems to be pretty slow. And you mentioned that the tenants, you know, that you guys represent, whether that's Starbucks, floor and decor, CVS, uh, you represent one of the dollar stores, right? Or you uh, not anymore. We used to do Dollar General's work up until a couple of years ago and then uh, stepped back from it. Um, we're doing uh, 7-Eleven's work now, too, for the city and um, for convenience stores. So they've been one of our active tenants in Boston. And we're doing the gas convenience store work for them uh, in the rest of Massachusetts. And are, are you seeing the, you know, the spikes and the slowdowns? Is it more about the types of uses? Is it more about the geographies? What's driving who's active, who's not? I think it's the types of uses. Um, mostly it's groups that um, have been able to remain open and drive strong sales. Um, you look at Florida Core, for example, which is, you know, 80, 90,000 square foot big box. Uh, they were deemed an essential retailer in most states. And because of that, they saw a sales bump nationally. And, um, you know, the stores were all open throughout the last few months and performed quite well because you got, at the end of the day, a whole lot of people sitting at home looking at whatever do-it-yourself renovation project you want to do. Are you 
doing anything different at, you know, now, how do you see as a boutique brokerage firm, how do you see yourself, you know, operating in a post COVID world, anything you guys are changing or you think you have to pivot on because business has just changed? Yeah. I mean, what we've done and been able to do is it's kind of twofold. We've just focused all our energy on, or most of our energy on, you know, our, our, our active clients. Um, you know, we're still working our landlord projects, of course, but um, a lot of stuff where, you know, you could have before gotten pulled in too many different directions or maybe had too many projects going on. We've really been able to narrow the focus and, you know, deliver the best service possible to the groups that are actually active we work with. Um, secondly, you know, we're out talking to landlords. We're looking at, you know, long-term opportunities, calling on um, all sorts of sites to, you know, bring to our developer clients and maybe uh, work, you know, as a landlord broker, um, you know, whether it's kind of a, a local restaurant that might have a good piece of real estate, where we're pursuing opportunities that way too. And do you see a change? Does, is this going to change the brokerage industry? Uh, at least the, the CRE brokerage industry, let me clarify, and the, in particular retail, I'm talking about the stock market, but the CRE brokerage industry, is there, is there going to be less tenant reps? Is there going to be, you know, if there's, you know, a change in tenants, is there, what, is there anything unique you think you see on the horizon? I think, I think like any, you know, I don't know, economic setback, it'll thin the herd a little bit. And people with, you know, the strongest relationships and work ethic will definitely be able to prosper on the backside of this. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity. Um, you just got to kind of get there. Um, so I think it will kind of separate, you know, the stronger brokers from, from not so much. Um, will there be as many tenant reps? Uh, probably. I think, I think tenants will, uh, for the next few years anyway, have the upper hand <laughs> to some degree, um, just cause there's less tenants active right now. Um, you know, we've always prided ourselves as a company, uh, on being able to do the urban Boston work as well as the suburban work. So we've really kind of straddled both. So in an event like this, which, you know, no one could see coming, we were able to just really pivot to more suburban real estate work than downtown stuff. That makes sense. And that, that's an interesting pivot. A, a lot of firms are very focused on, you know, they're either suburban guys or city guys and having that being able to do both clearly is going to be advantageous for you. Your business requires you to travel. Are you traveling now? Uh, I've toured with clients, so we're not, we're traveling within New England, but it's, you know, a, kind of a caravan. Um, we're, we're actually really fortunate where a handful of our retailers we work with uh, have in-market representatives. So we're able to look at real estate deals um, pretty easily. Uh, so we've done some downtown city tours. We're walking around with the mask on and um, have done, you know, a bunch of tours where, you know, one car follows the other. You get out at the site, you talk about the market and put it on speakerphone. And it, it works. It's not as good as being in the car together, but it's fine. Makes sense. Yeah. I haven't been on a plane yet, but I suspect at some point soon, I'm going to have to get on a plane for, <laughs> you know, work. Although, you know, we've been able to really do a lot virtually where we couldn't before. Right. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, we have, we also have clients that are based, you know, all over the country that, you know, work for publicly traded companies and HR isn't letting them fly in. So. Yeah. And are those, are, is that slowing deals down or are they willing to do things virtually? Uh, it's probably slowing some new, like brand new deals down. Um, it's just the size of the investment. It's hard to not see it on the ground. Sure. Well, Makes you, sense. Can, you can push a lot along virtually. Yeah, you can. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we've known each other a long time and we, the, our companies um, ended up putting a CVS deal together in Hamden, Connecticut. And I, I think it's an interesting deal. It's, it was a, a good one for, I think, everybody. And let's talk about that. Tell us the story yeah, about was, how uh, you landed CVS in Hamden, Connecticut. It was, it's a long time coming. So they opened um, a couple months ago now. But uh, I had to actually check my notes before we did this. And the first letter of intent we submitted to you was August 2015. So five years ago, almost to the day. Um, but so I worked in parallel with a CVS developer. I still work with them. Uh, so they go around and buy land and permanent on CVS's behalf. And I had initially reached out to your team, I think early 2015, um, which tell everyone how long some of these deals can take uh, to see if developer buy that nice corner piece in Hamden, Connecticut. And the um, answer was a pretty quick no. And from there it turned into a ground lease from CVS. But it was maybe a year back and forth of figuring out the plan. And you guys had to move tenants and build a new building, right? Yeah, we had to, this was an, a ground up building. We had to terminate some tenants, move some tenants, knock down a building, then prep, prep the pad for CVS and get them ready to, for them to build their building. So a lot of moving pieces to make that happen for sure. The lease, I think, got signed 2017 and then a few years of permitting and year of construction. and. Here we are. There's a couple of interesting things. I, I think one of the challenges we had was, you know, the, the property kind of was changing as we were working on this opportunity. Um, we had a vacant grocery store that ended up turning into a trade school, which, which ended up, you know, um, loosening up some of the back and forth negotiation on the restriction side, which was definitely a hang up I know right. between our teams for a long time on what CVS wanted to protect and what we wanted as the landlord to be able to not be uh, uh, excluded from doing. And, you know, I think that happens. And I, I think that's interesting on a go forward, the, you know, tenants and protecting uses and landlords and having flexibility and able to redevelop centers is, is going to get interesting in a post COVID world. Absolutely. Um, you're going to need, I think as a landlord, as much latitude as possible on, on use going forward. Cause it's, you know, I think you're going to see more storage, more medical, more technical schools, um, popping up for some of these big boxes. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's true. And so, you know, for the listener out there who doesn't understand, we got a we got a store open in 2020 where you first identified the site in 2015. 
I think that's not ideal for anyone, right? You know, everyone's trying to uh, do things yeah. faster, but I think one of the things that's clear is that real estate development takes a while to get done, especially when you're knocking down buildings and moving tenants around. Um, so it, it brings me to a couple of things. One, you know, CVS clearly had the, the site they wanted identified. They wanted that specific corner. And, you know, they, they hung around the hoop and they weren't going to, you know, sacrifice their, the, the real estate um, in order to move quicker, which I think tenants do a lot uh, or, or operators do in, in any use. And I think the other thing is just sometimes, you know, the whole process to get it permitted, approved, all that, I think to those out there who think things, you, you got to have a lot of things in the hopper because things take a long time, even if you've got the best of teams working as fast as possible. There's some uncontrollables that you can't, that you can't move faster sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's some challenges. I remember with the site in the city of Hamden with layout and how they wanted the building to uh, be positioned and a lot of stuff to work through that just. Yeah, we had a park next. There was a, a city owned park next door and we had to try to position the building so it wasn't on the park. And uh, because of their square footage, they wanted to be on that. They, they, we thought we might need that park and we had drive-through considerations and I had to get consents from other tenants to do it. I had to move tenants. I had to knock down a building. These things, I think somebody who drives down the street and looks at something and goes, why don't they just do this over there? <laughs> really needs an education on all the things that really go into uh, a real estate development happening, right? You know, we needed, first we needed to come to terms. Then once we come to terms, we got to get design figured out for how this is going to really lay out. Got to get the city on board. We need a tenant consents. We had to move tenants. And when you put all these pieces together, a lot of things that happen and anyone out there can imagine a lot of those things take time. Uh, to- when you're dealing with the municipality, you know, you go in for a meeting present and then they make changes and then you can't go back for a couple months or a month, what have you make more changes. So you're, you're inevitably spending a ton of time and energy and money trying to get the plan right before you even put a shovel in the ground. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely uh, a time factor that I wish we could move faster. I think the world is trying to figure out ways to move faster. I think in a post-COVID world where we're going to have to, everybody's going to have to be more creative, both tenants, landlords, brokers, municipalities, architects, engineers. I think the real estate world needs a level of creativity that it hasn't had before in order to move things along. Because I think if things at scale take five years, it's going to be problematic for everybody. I think so too. And I think a lot of, not all, but a lot of municipalities will work to fast track projects to you know, start bringing back some of the revenue base. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, I think 
that's going to be important to municipalities on a go forward and the sales tax revenue that happens because of retail in particular, you know, offsetting a lot of the, the other costs and with some vacancy that's occurring right now that that revenue is clearly potentially compromised in places. I agree. And I, I think um, we're starting to see it a little bit with some of the people we work with that, uh, especially with drive-throughs, I think they're going to start looking at it a little differently now that, um, you know, everyone doesn't want to go into a location. So, you know, a lot of towns, especially in greater Boston are, um, have drive-throughs prohibited in their zoning code. And uh, some of the conversation we've, conversations we've had with local municipalities where they've been more open to, you know, special permit for it or zoning amendment for a drive-through. So I think you'll see that more and more now too. Yeah, there are some municipalities that have been very strident in putting moratoriums on drive-thrus. So, mm-hmm. you know, in this deal that from first LOI to store opening took a long time, anything you would have done differently? It's a tough one. I don't, I don't like to only so. ask easy ones. I know. Um, you know, I, everyone did work pretty well together. Um, there was just so many moving pieces that to get it done and open um, took a long time. I don't know if there's much that could have been done differently. You know, I think, could have shaved a, a year, you know, time off the negotiation. Yeah, that would have been great. But, um, you know, the permanent kind of is what it is and the site plan has to work and it all has to work. And it did at the end of the day. Uh, it took a whole bunch of persistence from everybody. I'm glad yeah. you guys hung in there and I'm glad we did. Yeah. I, I think that's something that that's important is, is there has to be when you're doing like major redevelopment like this, there has to be an expectation on both parties of some reality that, you know, if someone's looking to get it done in 90 days and they have unrealistic expectations, you're probably go nowhere real fast. There has to be, you know, an ex, an understanding of how this is going to work and how it's going to play out um, in, in order for it to happen. I'll, I'll give you one. We had a tenant in a different deal that what they did was from LOI down to store opening before, like in that process, they gave us a, this was a while ago and something I've been thinking about implementing. They gave us a while ago, this is going to be the process. In one week, you're going to respond to this. Two weeks later, we're going to respond. This is when someone's going to go and do this. This is when the lease is going to go out. This is who's going to set up. Oh, Bob and Mary have a vacation on this week. And so that's something that in, was interesting to me. Is did it really work? put? Did it work? It's a great question. Were they able to stick to something? Yeah, I think, I think in general it worked. I think quite candidly, it was pretty new to us. Sure. And so it's something to think about on deals going forward. If everyone's committed and oftentimes in the LOI phase, there's this negotiation and someone doesn't want to, you know, tip their hat and therefore that might give things away. But if everyone's committed to try to make it work, to get to the finish line faster, really setting that out 
is probably prudent to do for both parties. I agree. Um, you know, it's an interesting approach. Yeah. Um, it's, but it's a common sense approach too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the part that you can't account for are the uncontrollables. You know, we, we had a, one of the tenant, we had a tenant who we were working out a termination deal with, they were a franchisee. They were going to have a major tax problem for terminating, although they didn't want to be in the center anymore. So we had to solve for that. We had to wait for one lease to roll. And then, you know, we had to go get consent because we were building a new building and changing the site plan from other tenants. And so all those things where you, you're the way my legal team tells me all the time is like, every deal is no longer one deal, right? We just talked about that, right? The CVS deal in mm-hmm. Hamden Connect, it really wasn't that there's a million deals. There's a deal with the, the tenant consents. There was a deal with the terminations. There was a deal with the CVS. There, there's like five deals. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of one deal is really like six deals. Mm-hmm. And so and it think, impacts all your future dealings at the center too. Yeah. So I think that is something that people need to consider when they're, when they think they're doing one deal and <laughs> be prepared for all the things that really have to get done at a minimum, I think in a really complicated real estate development deal like that one, I think, you know, both parties were pretty sophisticated who had done real estate deals like this before, which really helps, right? You had CVS who's done a million. You had us who's done a lot of these types of deals. Mm-hmm. So knowing where the, you know, the traps might be ahead is sure. really helpful so that you can plan accordingly. If, if you have unexpected traps, that derails real estate development. Right. So. Um, anything else about, uh, CVS and hand in Connecticut we didn't talk about that we should talk about? Not that I can remember. Anymore. <laughs> it took a long time. That's for sure. Yeah. I was happy to, uh, to see it open. Um, yeah. and it opened in the middle of, you know, pandemic too, which is great. And just an essential retailer. Um, and it just goes to show you how important and strong some of these credit retailers can be right now to keeping, you know, some level of activity in the, in the shopping center. Keep totally. Totally agree. Um, we've had a few um, of our clients open stores in the last couple months. So it's been nice to see. Yeah, us too. So um, it's, we've had tenants opening and we're continuing to sign leases now. So all right. Well, listen, this brings us to the last part of the show, retail wisdom. <laughs> Hopefully I, got, I have some at this point. I got three questions for you. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. Question one. What is your best piece of commercial real estate advice? Be persistent. Be persistent. Be persistent. When you are representing a tenant and you know, they want to be in a certain market or a certain corner. Um, don't give up on it until you have answers. You know, make sure you flush every opportunity out um, and just be persistent. Stay on top of people because you never know when someone's timing is going to change or someone's situation is going to change where they're going to be ready to make a deal. Yeah, that was definitely the case here. So. Yeah, I bugged you guys for a while. Yeah. Um, uh, the second question, 
What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? That's a good question. Ames. Ames. Ames, old school. I think it was 2003 when they went out of business and somewhat nostalgic for me because there was one right down the street from where I went to college where we used to buy all our stuff there for, for our apartment. Where'd you go to school? St. Michael's in uh, Winooski, Vermont. But it's now a Lowe's. Ah, got it. It was, um, it was one of those stores when you were younger or in college that had everything you needed. Totally. My, my parents just take me to Ames and Jamesway all the time. So, <laughs> so um, one that's on the brink right now that I, I hope doesn't go away is D'Angelo's just because I like their food. Are, are they, you know, I haven't kept up. Are they close? Are they, are they on the bubble here? Yeah, they're on the bubble. I think they filed. Oh, did they? Yeah. They're clo- they closed a fair amount of them. Got it. Um, last question. So I need a new garden hose. <laughs> I am on Home Depot's website looking at the HDX 15-foot remnant garden hose. 15-foot, not that long. No. What is the 15-foot remnant garden hose by HDX retail for? Oh, boy. Uh, $21.99. $9.48, but thank you for playing. Yeah, I, I lived in a condo for a lot of years, so pretty useless. <laughs> well, listen, Andrew, this has been awesome. Thanks uh, for coming on. I appreciate you telling the story, man, and uh, this will go out soon. All right, sounds good. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at Retail Retold at DLCMGMT.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.